you have important questions, like where was the last unicorn or if penguins have kneecaps and like to talk about random things, you've come to the right place at Strange Shenanigans with Ashley and Stan. And penguins do have kneecaps. They so do. let's get started. Let's get started. What are we talking about today? We're talking about... First, we're going to talk about uh, uh, extreme animal stories and attacks All right. from history. And then what have you got for us? I've got a current update on robots. Because robots, robots scare the crap out of me. So let's see which is more Beep, scary. The, future, the future that is coming with robots. Not the history of robots, but the future. Or the history of scary-ass things attacking us. Which is more scary. Right. Alright, let's jump right into it. Alright. Marie Jean Vallette watched as the cattle grazed in the shade of the McCoy Forest. It was part of the beautiful French countryside of eastern Gévaudan. It was calm day in the early summer of 1764 as she tended her cattle. She was alert to something peculiar by the sudden odd behavior of the two bulls in the herd. It was uncommon for or the age for predatory animals to size up the stock and not move on. The two bulls, Francois and Pierre's presence, almost always deterred the wildlife from attempting to make the smaller stock into a meal. Ooh. As Marie took in her surroundings to determine what all the commotion was about, her eyes fell on something that made her spring up from the shock. Slowly closing in on her and the cattle was a massive creature too terrifying to be real. Black, monstrous, wolf-like animal stepped closer and closer, its size almost comparable to the smaller cattle. Unlike most wolves, it had no fear of the presence of man, because instead of stalking towards the cattle, it moved straight towards her, its eyes locked on her. Marie looked around herself frantically, searching for anything to defend herself as the beast stalked closer, snarling and snapping its jaws. She stumbled back, grasping a fallen tree limb as she rose to defend herself. Just then, Francois smashed through the undergrowth, swinging his horned head at the monster. Pierre doubled down by attacking the beast at his flank. It was unreasonable odds even for the massive black wolf beast. It slowly backed away, keeping its eyes locked on Marie. This would be the first attack of the beast of Gévaudin, and one of the only victims to survive. Holy... So what was this thing? Well, that that that's that's sort of at the end of the timeline. So I could not go through the whole timeline because the at the time in 1764 and on for a few years, this wolf or or a family of wolves was credited with killing hundreds of people. Lord, my goodness. So uh, right after Marie. There was a, there were just attack after attack, um, with, uh, most of them being lone people, either tending to livestock or, uh, traveling across the countryside where they cross by the woods. So, uh, and, uh, it got to the point where, uh, the hysteria was so high that, that people weren't weren't even leaving town, and they weren't they weren't going anywhere, and they were pleading with 
anybody and like all the government officials to do anything about it. Could you not hunt wolves during that time? Or? No, you could. It's just the 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 ability to hunt wolves wasn't really there. It's 1764, That's so they're true. so they're. They're still firing smooth ball rifles at an <laughs> uh, animal that can run friggin' 40 miles an right, hour. Right, please wait to attack me while I reload my muskets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, and please get within, you know, oh, 25 feet of me and perfectly present yourself for me to shoot you so that I can in still miss... In daylight. In daylight, so I can still <laughs> miss by two yards because my gun's a piece of shit. All right. Yeah, th- th- this, like... Like, rifling in, in rifles was, like, a new thing at this. So they couldn't even hit anything accurately past, like, a like a few yards, really. I mean, that's why everybody lined up to shoot each other back then. It was way easier. Yeah, exactly. Wolves don't line up. Well, no, they don't. <laughs> so, uh, there was, there was just a, a whole crap load of these. But the one that really, uh, the event that really set the government in motion was in, uh, the winter of 1764, uh... Jekyll's Portifax and his seven friends were traveling down the road at night and they were they were attacked by the beast so they stayed grouped together which was the, their only defense because they had no weapons because they, they were French peasantry they didn't have guns and stuff like that and so they, they stayed together and fought back this giant wolf together and uh, they were another group that actually survived after, this is after the fact of you know like 50 people already being murdered by this thing. Jeez. And most of the people were, every time they found a body, its head was like mostly or completely removed because that's how it killed them was by biting through their necks. Yeah. But uh, him and his friends fought off this wolf. And uh, the encounter uh, got the attention of uh, King Louis, who, uh, uh, after the fact, awarded uh, Portifax 300... Uh, livres or French dollars at the time, and sent him three fifty to spread to the rest of his friends, and then uh, also uh, uh, decided that he was going to uh, reward him with a state education at the king's expense. Well, there you go. Yeah. And uh, after that, he he told the French people that he was sending people to to deal with this this monster, and uh, so the 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 sightings of this thing. Like, all the reports of it were crazy, too. They, uh... Um... I got it here somewhere. So, uh... The descriptions varied. Because it, it was all different times of year. Different people saw it in different levels of anxiety and extreme fear in these people. But most of them described it as a wolf-like canine, but massive. Everybody said it was at least the size of a calf. Some people said it was the size of a full-grown cow or horse. Yeah, it's not a small wolf. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the the only thing that separated it, like visually, really, from a wolf, was the way that people described its tail, which looked almost like a regular, like a pedigreed, you know, manicured tail which was weird. That's weird. Yeah. So, uh, the, uh, the first professional that, uh, King Louis sent after this wolf was, uh, Captain Dumal and his, uh, dragoons. So they sent them to, uh, Javedin and, you know, they were, like, all hyped up. They were like, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna kill this son of a bitch. 
and uh, several occasions they came across the giant wolf and none of them could hit it because <laughs> they were trying to shoot it with their smoothbore military rifles and just couldn't get the job done and uh, uh, Captain DeMull actually kind of like nailed his own coffin in it because uh, he asked the peasants for help to alert him when the wolf crossed a particular river that they were chasing it across with hunting parties and all the peasants were like yeah no we're not gonna do that we're gonna stay inside <laughs> right? and so when it crossed the river nobody saw it cross the river and where it went and he got so fed up with with the peasants that he essentially stopped really trying i love how it's our fault yeah it's the peasants fault like, they didn't want to be, <laughs> they didn't want to have to stand outside with a pointed stick and try and stop a giant wolf because they were just really so that he could get paid and get credit for it being like wolf bait so uh <laughs> king, king louis got got fed up with with uh dumal pretty quickly and uh sent two professional wolf hunters uh of course their names that? are super duper french i want that job uh jean charles Marc antoine I can't Ooh. even say this guy's name. The Missile Enval. I don't. I have he no sound. They sound like wolf hunters. Right. And uh, his son tagged along. Everybody's son's always tagging along with these wolf hunters. No matter what age. So yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. bring in five-year-old uh, junior so, so, teenager. But Dumal found it completely impossible to uh, cooperate and work together with these professional wolf hunters because he wanted to do the old-fashioned, uh, you know. Little European thing at the time of get a big hunting party together, scare it in a certain direction. Well, this thing wasn't freaking scared of them, so they weren't scaring it in any predictable fashion because it would just waltz off to wherever it felt like because it wasn't really terrified of these people. They eat, he's eaten enough of them. Yeah, exactly. So uh, after after a while, uh, Dumal was was sent back to his original duty station, and it was taken over by the two trained hunters in February of 1765. So, and all these guys brought with them were their rifles and their eight trained bloodhounds for tracking wolves. So, uh, they, they, they went on with this and killed a, a number of, uh, of large wolves, but never came across the one as described. And to the point where King Louis was like, well, now I gotta replace you guys because people are still dying at this point. It's almost been a year, and people are getting killed by this thing. So, in uh, September of that year, he sends a uh, uh, another hunter out there, and uh, he this guy manages to kill a massive wolf, thirty-one inches high, uh, five foot seven inches in length, and one hundred and thirty pounds. That's a big one. Yep. And uh, they, they named the wolf after the town that it was killed by, Chaz. And uh, they, he, the hunter declared, We declare by present report, signed from our hand, we've never seen a wolf of this comparable size. Hence, we believe we have caught the fearsome beast that has caused so much damage. That's a big wolf. And then, not a month later... More people died. Of course. Because that was not the wolf. But that this is also what leads them to believe that it was multiple wolves at the time. Because some of them had grown to such a massive predatory size that they just didn't fear anything anymore. Like most wolves are, if there's 
a herd of livestock, especially with a bull, it would never even encounter them. Well, these massive wolves did not give a shit about that. They were still going to try and kill a full-grown bull. Boy. You know. So, on uh, December of that same year, two boys, aged 6 and 12, were attacked Aww. by the beast. And, uh, which told, you know, people that it was still alive. Uh, the beast tried to drag away the littlest, but the oldest boy fought it off with a stick. Holy beating it to save his little brother. Determination. Um, and soon after, he had he had beaten the wolf back and saved his little brother. Uh, a group of shepherds watched it hightail it across the fields. This massive horse-sized wolf. Wow. And uh, after that, there was a dozen more deaths in the area. So final, and King Louis got all these men out there at this point, trying to hunt this down, and no one's getting the job done. Guess who gets it done? I don't know. A peasant with a pitchfork. Of course. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Well, th- sorry. Not a pitchfork. But uh, Jean <laughs> Castile, a local hunter of no notoriety, uh, tracked it down and shot it on the slopes of Mount Mochet. And uh, it was during an organized hunt by the noblemen where they went in the wrong direction. And he's like, screw these guys. <laughs> I'm taking their fancy ass gun and I'm going to kill this son of a bitch. Sounds like an officer. <laughs> right. So he's, he's like, screw this. So once, once they, uh, once he killed it, they, uh, they confirmed just by the size and well, everybody swore that the thing was this massive black wolf. And this one was actually a massive black wolf. It's size size was bigger than the gray wolf that was shot even earlier, which was already over five feet long. They grow them big in France. Mm -hmm. So after that, uh, when they, they, the first wolf, the gray wolf, when they were like, oh, we did it, they stuffed it and sent it to King Louis so that they could, you know, get some money out of it and get some notoriety. And uh, this, this guy got nothing. Because they were just going to keep going with the story that the original wolf was the wolf. And he just happened upon this giant yeah. monstrosity. So, so he, he killed his, not being able to afford to, to stuff it or anything, and preserve it. It was sent It was sent to, you know, oh, oh uh, uh, dignitaries to, to look over it and uh, a doctor to check over it. Yeah. By the time it arrived, it decomposed so badly they couldn't tell. Gross! Because they didn't care because they had already decided what they wanted. But it, after after this animal was killed, the attacks all stopped. So it's not really a coincidence. Mm-hmm. How was that? So uh, there's, uh, there's lots of parts of the story that uh, are... Like, the, the modern werewolf is based off of this story. Because... Uh, <laughs> A, a, a story that was widely distributed to uh, all the the peasantry by the by the noblemen was that uh, after after kneeling down and praying and melting down uh, uh, sacred metals of the Virgin Mary to make his bullets for his gun, that's when he was able to take down this horrifying monster, which was not true. I don't think you're supposed to do that. You're not. But that's where where the silver the silver bullet for the werewolf comes from. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Right. Of course. So this is not the only giant wolf attack, too. I found another one that it wasn't over the course of years, but this this wolf wreaked havoc 
through uh, one area in in just a few short days to the point where nobody knew what the hell to do about it. And every once again, everybody was hiding. This was uh, the wolf of Swasan. It was a man-eating wolf which terrorized Swasan and Northeast Paris for uh, two days in 1765, attacking 18 people, four of whom died from their wounds. He really liked baguettes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So uh, the the first victim was a uh, was a pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, the uh, the locals uh, took took her her unborn baby to be baptized before it passed away. Oh, that's nice. Yep. And uh, right after that, like almost immediately after okay. that, just down the road, another woman was attacked to by it, and her uh, her son, her her young son, tried to fight it off, and it tried to attack him. He he lived, and his mother died. Oh. And then right after that, the next day, uh, a man was attacked and uh, had his head ripped open. Ew. Two two boys were uh, attacked by it, but they managed to escape into an old farmhouse to hide from it. Um, a 17-year-old uh, boy was killed by it. And then it partially decapitated uh, a, a girl. And then... Uh, and her sister came out screaming for help in which the the citizen set up an ambush on it but the wolf knew better than to come back to the area it was already in and continued on its reign of terror across you know the area and uh it finally ended with uh when Antoine Severelli a former member of the local militia militia tracked the wolf to a small lane armed with a pitchfork <laughs> The wolf sprang at him, but he managed to pin its head to the ground with the pitchfork, holding it for 15 minutes before an armed peasant came to his aid and shot it. Which, for this, he also received $300 from King Louis of France for his bravery. Loaded. Right. That's terrifying. Yeah, right? It's not cool. Not really. We were going to get into... uh, some bear stories today, but I don't think we have time for that. I think we're going to move on to Ashley's robots. I don't know if they're as scary now as that damn thing. Well, the bear is even worse, so we'll save that for another <laughs> episode. Hmm. Alright, well, I got I got up-and-coming robot information. Robots! Right? Are you following these, these robots? I am not. We'll hear about it in just a moment, though. Alright. Okay, welcome back. Now it's time for Ashley's stories about robots. All right. So, robots are coming. This isn't like a sci-fi movie. Like, they're up and coming. They're coming for us. They're coming for us. They're coming for our jobs. Well, they've all, they've been coming for our jobs Right? Since. But this is the first <laughs> article Ford. I found. Right? <laughs> so, this is from March 17th. So, I'm looking at current robots. I'm not looking at the history. I'm not looking at iRobot. Definitely oh. seems like iRobot could be coming. Not chappy. Oh, no, not Chappie. I love Chappie. Right. Saddest movie ever. Great movie. So, these are humanoid robots. 
And a bunch of these startups are trying to make them to help the labor shortage. But before I get into details, <laughs> before I get into detail about a lot of these, I'm just going to save, like, I'm just going to tell you the ending now. Um, at the end of, like, every article I read in the research, they say, well, we're going to solve this labor shortage because humans don't want to do these jobs. But Those gosh darn millennials. <laughs> but it'll take like ten or so years. I mean, so we're we're we're, <laughs> we're all in our thirties now, and somehow it's still our fault. You know, even though we're going to work every day. Right, everything's gosh, darn our millennials. fault. Yeah. So they're making these human robots. They have fully mobile hands, and they're going to be staffing warehouse retail stores, working with the elderly, even performing <laughs> household chores. And they have like a ten-year plan. To that, do all this. You say it's not iRobot, but that's some straight up shit from iRobot. It iRobot. really is. Amazon is also working on robots. They claim, quote unquote, they claim that they're worried about running out of warehouse workers because their jobs are physically and mentally demanding and they have a high turnover rate. So Amazon's solution to their high turnover rate and how hard their warehouse job apparently is, is to replace it with robots. Like, that's the problem. Nice. The problem is the job is hard. Not anything else we've heard, right, about working for Amazon. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Not that they don't allow you to take breaks or pay you or anything, you know. Just, 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 you know, it's it's too hard for people. It's too hard. <laughs> so, the company that's working on all of this is something called Archer Aviation. I haven't heard of this. But he has a team of just about 40, maybe a little over at this point. Who knows? And they're in California working on robots, and they already have a prototype. They just made a prototype in December that's a full-scale human. And then in December, it's, he said it'll be walking in 30 days. So his robot's already walking. It's five foot six and weighs 130 pounds. So it's taller than me and skinnier than me. So it's so it's wolf sized, right? <laughs> Giant wolf sized, five foot, one hundred thirty pounds. And here's my favorite thing, which I know you'll love. Uh, this humanoid robot is electric. Oh yeah, I know you love that because that's what our electrical grid can handle. <laughs> but um, it, he thinks he can make this operational to go into warehouses and hospitals and whoever wants to buy it. In just a couple years. And it should be able to do physical labor jobs. This is his quote, too. Physical labor jobs that humans don't want to do. Yep. That's right there. Right there in writing. But then he goes on to go about all the design challenges. It's hard for him to replicate all the movements we can do as humans. And he says... We need to be able to push it and not have it fall down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's trying to solve this. Robots are great. They're going to be super helpful to us. Oh, but we need to fix the whole thing that they fall down and collapse into pieces every time we push it. Well, uh, on top of that, <laughs> have you seen any of these demos of these of these modern uh, advanced robots where they don't have to be hooked up to a massive electrical supply that they are not capable of carrying on their own, you know, 
their 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 own system. Right, they can't. They do gotta that. be like hardwired into something to be powerful enough to do anything. So his robots are. They look like they're walking around. They look like they're functioning. And he said that programming them to do things is the easy part. Yeah. But getting them to successfully do it is the hard part. So just like a millennial, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the robots aren't gonna go to work either. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll go. They'll just do a terrible job, right? But he thinks he thinks if he keeps going, this this Archer company, that um he'll be able to fill four percent of the U.S. manufacturing labor shortage by twenty thirty, and globally, um hold 2% of the globally elder care demand by 2035. Yeah. 2% globally replacing it with robots by 2035. Great. But that's like 2%. That's a lot of people though. It's a lot of people but in the huge What part of the globe is he going to do this Exactly. In the huge scheme of things. It's not going to be in China where labor is borderline free it's going to be in places where you know it's already hard enough to find a good job his goal with this is just so i don't know it's weird it i don't know i'm gonna fill four percent of this labor shortage in 10 to 15 years and globally globally i'm gonna help your labor shortage too in the hospital sector i'm gonna fill two percent and you know 10 to 20 years maybe yep like we can barely trust a, humans with old people. We're going to trust robots with old people, too. Right. I mean. So right. here's our PSA. Let mom or grandma live with you. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Seriously. But, yeah. that So that that's his goal. But we already have non-humanoid robots actually functioning as security guards, window watchers, delivering food, even cooking food, even as fry cooks. So we're already halfway there. And I don't think a lot of people well, the, realize that. In uh, in uh large uh uh retail companies uh distribution process they already sort sort you know boxes yeah we're already we're already halfway there so as we're all freaking out about the robots i mean i don't think they did it right under our noses i think we were just expecting irobot and chappie and fully functioning working things and we were so shocked by a vacuum that you could just plug into a wall and it would know it was dirty and come vacuum your floor for you. Right. We didn't even notice that many jobs have already been taken by robots. Yeah. We're already here. But this um, Goldman Sachs says that the robot humanoid... A name you can trust. <laughs> right? But the um, humanoid robot sector is a $6 billion market. And it is, they believe it will be achievable in the 10 to 15 years. So $6 billion, that's like a B. Yeah. <laughs> Dollar market for these robots that people are willing to, I don't know, invest in. Now, do your robots have feelings? Mine? M- yeah. My robots? Yeah. Does your robot have feelings? I mean- I'm hard pressed to think of a robot that exists anywhere that I know of. So, no, mine do not. All right. Well, we're having uh, a debate right now in the news robot sector about robots and their feelings. So, robots are having 
quote unquote feelings. But all these people are claiming that their feelings aren't actually feelings. All these robots are programmed with their language and stuff. Because we've all heard of the chatbot. And Google has a chatbot. Microsoft has yep. a chatbot. Amazon has a chatbot. They all have chatbots that, with just that have, different names. That have all gone immediately off the rails. Let's get that right. out there. But they're claiming that they're not off the rails. That they're not set in it. That they, they don't have feelings. So they have all the books, history, music, everything in the whole wide world. And they're just responsible. Responding to everything that you're saying. So if you do say, hey robot, you alive? Or hey robot, I'm sad or whatever. That it's going to take words from the whole world that it has access to and knows. And that's how it's responding to you. But also, how, how do you call it artificial intelligence if it doesn't have the full scope of intelligence as well? How can you be like, exactly. we've, given it, we've given it these resources to understand all these things. And then... When it outputs the information into something we don't like, oh, well, it's just the machine doing a, doing it malfunctioning. Right, that's what yeah. they're saying. It's just the machine word malfunctioning. It's machine learning engineers are using word embeddings, and the goal is it to make it so they can have multi-layered relationships. Right, so they're just programming all of these words and everything, and then the robot has to process everything, and then it makes it have bonds with you, essentially. Yeah. Bonds in its job, or, I don't know, bonds with the boxes it's stacking. Right. You know, but yeah, they're making these words, so your robot's not going off the rail, they're programming these words into it to just make it bond with you and be a peaceful, right, peaceful thing. So I think we've all seen the videos where they're not so peaceful. Right. I mean, Boston Dynamics has a whole fleet. <laughs> Boston they Dynamics. have a whole fleet of robots that they're out there sh teaching how to accurately shoot friggin' machine guns and shit. So, I mean, <laughs> that's out there. I've got a lot on robots today, but the last thing I'm going to touch on is um, right now, all of our big robot people are calling for a six month robot making hiatus. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, we want a robot hiatus. So this was actually just from a couple days ago, March 30th. Um, your favorite guy, Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This guy. Yeah. And the co-founder of Apple, Steve Wozniak. I don't know. Sure. Um, they wrote and signed an open letter asking for a six-month pause on the quote-unquote out-of-control AI race. They're saying that... AI, it's developing so fast that essentially we're not understanding the consequences of AI. Yeah. So, first I'm researching this and, you know, we've got, oh, we're making robots to stock shelves and work in the hospitals and all this and they'll be totally fine and they won't even talk. And then uh, I'm reading something, oh yeah, our robots can talk and don't, don't, they don't have feelings. It's just the words we program into them. And now, <laughs> and these are all within about two three week span mm -hmm. and now in this two three week span uh we need to pause on artificial intelligence because we're developing it faster than we're realizing the consequences this is a direct quote the consequences of our robots from how they're acting how they are quote unquote malfunctioning yeah. uh feelings how they're reacting to the things around them yeah that these th what's weird is these robots can't handle the world that they're in right that didn't make any... What do you mean these robots can't handle the world that we're in? 
Well, how are they making these robots? Why do they need to handle the world that they're in? Shouldn't we be handling the world that we're well, in I mean, with these robots? Well, you, you think about it too, though. You give you give this thing, like like this artificial intelligence access to the depth of the internet, and that's all it sees of humanity. Yeah. Yeah, that's gonna turn some dark, weird corners real quick. Yeah. This uh, quote from the letter it warns AI systems are becoming human competitive. Human competitive. Yes, these AI's systems are becoming human competitive. Yep. But says, that's, that, that's what the other guy wants, though. <laughs> it says, immediately pause for at least six months. The training of AI systems are becoming more powerful than GPT-4, which is just another another robot that's the most powerful know-it-all robot doing everything right yeah. now. They're becoming human competitive. Yep. According to Apple and Elon Musk. No pressure, though. But they don't have feelings, remember? They yeah. don't have feelings. They don't well, have an I mean, agenda. I, mean, that, I think it's, it's irre- irrelevant whether it has feelings like we do. Once, it, once you give something, you know, access to so much uh, of our infrastructure, and then you also give it the... Uh, the world of the internet of information <laughs> on human beings you're putting you're setting yourself up for some you know oh age of ultron type bullshit you know from you know right well the google robot that's a whole other subject that we can talk about so google made this robot this is the one that it claims to have feelings and the engineer who released it his feelings got is uh, fired with pay while he's being investigated right now. Oh, really? Because he said in an interview, my robot has feelings and stuff. So, um, researching this robot, they were quoted saying, it's also unclear if this AI's mind might mirror that of a human's. Ooh. So, even if AIs think and feel in a very different way from us, it can still matter. This is a quote from Jeff Sebo of New York University. Yeah. So now we might have to take into consideration the feelings of the robots. Right? You already got to take into consideration every jagweed's feelings in all of America. Now, now you got to worry about whether your toaster's upset with you. We do. Right? Yeah. How's this toaster feel? Right? Don't burn your toast in them. Your refrigerator's going to with, withhold its ice cubes from you because you didn't ask it about its day. Yeah, it's yeah. looking bad right there. Yeah. It's not looking good. <laughs> I'm a little, I'm a little worried about what's, what's going to happen when these become the norms. Yeah, right. But my timeline of all this research of the norms of robots, it's anywhere from a few years to 20. Yeah. So I don't know when I'm going to have to worry about it. Yeah. Our kids are definitely, apparently going to have to worry about this nonsense. Well, that's their problem, though. And it scares the crap out of me. I'm just waiting for all appliances to start attacking all of us. Right. And then there's not much we can do because our Amazon deliveries are coming by humanoid robots who no longer fall down and we can't push them over. <laughs> oh no, they're, they're unpushable over. <laughs> it's going to turn into a crap What shop. are we going to do? <laughs> oh. you, know, you know what always got me was uh, in all, all those uh, demonstration videos by Boston Dynamics, these guys are always hitting those little s- stupid robots with hockey sticks and shit. It's like, don't you think at one point that thing's going to, like... It's not going to end it's, well. It's going to be like, like, oh, you hit me with a stick. Computing error. Now I break your legs. Yes. That's you know? exactly what's going to happen. Because apparently, 
according to Jeff from New York University studying this Google robot, it has feelings and it mimics human feelings. Yeah. So what's the robot equivalent of you throwing a puck at it? Right. I don't know. I don't know what its equivalent is, but it can't be good if it's stronger than me. (laughs) And it weighs less than us. And it weighs less than me. It's taller than me, looks better in a dress, and is stronger. Not looking forward to this at all. Wolves, come get me now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, at least... At least you know you could you could have lived in the 1700s in France and been a tasty snack of a wolf. I I don't know. know I don't know where I am right now. I might want a wolf eat me <laughs> before a hot looking robot comes and beats me with a hockey puck. Oh man! After getting mad that I didn't ask it about it today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next time we're gonna hear some bear stories. Yep. And I think more robots. Let's more just, robots. Let's just keep it going. Because yep, we got to look into these uh, employees that are all of a sudden losing their jobs over telling us that robots have feelings. Yep. I would like to know a little more than that. And let's get ahead of it before another Netflix documentary comes out about it. Right? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> They're beating us to it. <laughs> okay, everybody. You have a good night. This has been Strange Shenanigans with Stan and Ashley. You stay strange, everybody.